We're excited we have one more Sunday here with the Big Bang Theory series. And just to follow up on what Kevin said about next Sunday, we'll be diving back into the story. This has been our year-long study of the Bible. And we took a break during the summer to do some different things. We finished up the Old Testament right before the summer. And so we're picking up with the New Testament beginning next Sunday. So again, if you don't yet have a copy of the story, it's an abridged version of the Bible that we're using. It's a white book. You can grab one out at the Welcome Center on the way out of church today. It's out there in the lobby. And we'll read. Uh, chapter 22. If everybody will read chapter 22 before next Sunday, we're going to start in the New Testament and the birth of Jesus. So it might feel a little bit like Christmas uh, in here uh, as we're doing that. So chapter 22 for next week, we're starting the New Testament. A great time to jump on board if, 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 this, if you're new here and we're going to go through the New Testament together. But again, one more Sunday of the Big Bang Theory. And uh, I want to uh, introduce that uh, by a guy named Bill who when he was a teenager, he and some of his friends um, did something they shouldn't have done. They tried to build some pipe bombs. And obviously not a good idea. Uh, we know the FBI would be after all that uh, and then some today. But this was back in like 1938. And so these guys had some time on their hands. And that's when they used to make like real fireworks that you could blow up toilets with and stuff like that. So they yeah, L80s, cherry bombs, all that kind of stuff. But they wanted to take it up a next level, a next notch. Uh, and they found out in a very difficult way just why that was not a good idea. Uh, and trying to make a pipe bomb, there was four of them, uh, Bill and his three friends, all teenagers. Uh, two of them died in, in that experiment. Uh, one, of the, one of his friends was an Episcopalian. Uh, one was a Roman Catholic. Uh, and then his third friend, who came out without a scratch, was an atheist. Uh, Bill was a man of faith, a young man of faith, and he really began to wrestle with God. And, you know, how could a just and loving God allow these teenagers to blow themselves up? These were his friends, and, and he was hurting and, and grieving with that. And, you know, if, if God is all-powerful, if God is good, then why wouldn't God, if God's an active God, intervene into, into their lives? And, you know, I hope he would have asked the question also, uh, why did we choose to use our freedom of choice, our free will, to do something stupid like making pipe bombs? I'm not sure if he got that far, but uh, you can't blame the guy in his grief to really wrestle with, with some questions like that. And so he continued to wrestle with those questions as he went to the funerals of his, of his two friends. And uh, he continued to wrestle with those questions about God when he w finished out his high school uh, career in school. He, he wrestled with those questions as he joined the Navy and, and served our country. And he wrestled with those questions when he got out of the Navy and he went to seminary and became a theology professor. And and ultimately, this is the way that he decided to answer those questions. He continued to believe that there is a God somewhere out there in the universe who may have created things. But he said, we can no longer believe that God is active in human life. Because if God is good and God is powerful, then God would step into these situations where people get hurt and harm themselves or harm other people. And God would stop that and, and God would not allow that. Or, or either God is causing the evil to happen and I, he says, I can't begin to accept that. And so he said, our concept, our, our idea about who God is needs to die. We don't understand God. God. God's not active in life or, or otherwise things like my friends blowing themselves up wouldn't happen. And so we as Americans, we as a, as a world, we need to accept that the, the concept that we have of God is dead. We need to look at God as God is. God is a distant God. You know, Jesus was cool. He did some, some nice things on the earth. We can study him. But, but the idea of God is all powerful, all good, interfering, being active in people's lives 
That's an idea that needs to die. Uh, and, and he and some of his theologian friends, you know, espoused that. And they found themselves uh, in one of, the ep- uh, one of the editions of Time Magazine in 1966. We've got a cover of that where the cover says, Is God Dead? And, and they believed that God was absolutely dead because God, you know, couldn't be a God, an active God, and let people suffer and die like his friends did. And so uh, it was like this revolutionary magazine, and people started talking about the death of God, or at least the the concept of God as as we understand God. And so, you know, in my own life, uh, I've been raised as a Christian my whole life. My dad's a pastor. I'm a preacher's kid. Uh, I'm ordained pastor now. But, you know, I'd be lying to you if I I didn't tell you that there's, there's points in my life where I've doubted God where I've gone through hard times and you know, sometimes I wonder about God's goodness or I wonder about God's power to, to interact, kind of like Bill was, was worried about God or had questions about God. Sometimes I've doubted God existing at all or in life after death, and I've really wrestled with a lot of that stuff. And, and I'm guessing that it, you're here today if you have a relationship with God or you're interested in faith and and either you're sitting here today or you're watching on, uh, on, the, on the internet or you're listening to our podcast, there's something in you that, that has you know, questions about faith. You, you want to explore that. I'm guessing that somewhere all of us have had our doubts about God. Is God all powerful? Does God exist? Does, is God all good? And you know, I think it's okay to have those doubts and to wrestle with that. And I really want to push that today. Because I, I'm hoping that we can push through those doubts and believe that God is real and that God is powerful and that God is loving and that God is good and that God has endowed us with the freedom to choose. And, and that God, believing in God can be rational, but at the same time, it also takes a leap of faith. And so if you're here today, if you've ever had any doubts, you're wondering about God and all that sort of thing, then I'm glad you're here because that's how we're going to finish out this series as we think about, you know, is God really alive or is, should the concept of God dying really be what we think about and believe in. So Bill was not the first theologian to think this way. And uh, it goes back a long time before him. And one of the most famous philosophers who said that God was dead, that we need to do away with the concept of God, was a 19th century uh, German philosopher. His name was Friedrich Nietzsche. And uh, Nietzsche believed that God was a, 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 a false concept that people made up because they needed something like a crutch, like to, to get us through life. We, we, we need something to get us through life because life is hard. It's tough. It stinks. Uh, and so we've created this idea of this cosmic parent in the sky who's going to make all things better when, once we're dead and, and everything's going to be made right, who can be with us in the meantime and help us when, when things aren't going well. And so just the idea of God is a way that we've kind of created a crutch so that we can get through a difficult life. And, and Nietzsche said in the 19th century, folks, y'all, it's time to grow up. And, and we need to accept that, that, that this idea of God is, is false and we need to put it to death. We need to, we need to kill God. Now, I don't know what y'all is in German, but that's what he said, I think. And so anyway, he's like, we need to wake up. Face facts. Be men, be women. There's no God. We're just, we're making it up. It's, it's a dream. It's just trying to get us through life. We would better be served by facing the facts and, and just go through life 
uh, and, and move forward. And so Nietzsche's thoughts and other thoughts were the foundation of what we've studied the past couple of Sundays of modernity, the modern period, which says, you know, people used to believe in God, but we, we need to admit there's not a God and we need to take responsibility for ourselves, that human beings need to define what truth is. We need to use science and reason and figure out the way the world works and, and not make up fairy tales. And, and, and we have all the answers and, and, and we need to step into God's place. And so that's where the, the modern experiment came from. And of course, we, we talked about how that led to the only two world wars in history that humans, when we're, we're trusting ourselves, we, we just don't get it done. But, but Nietzsche was a very influential uh, philosopher. A lot of people you know, piggybacked off that. And, and so the whole modern era that gave way to the postmodern era where we believe there's no truth at all, there's no one religious truth or any truth at all, that, that breaks down too. We've talked about that. But it all comes back to Nietzsche and some of his colleagues who say, concept of God is false. Grow up. Life's tough. Suck it up. There's no fairy tale. God is going to come in. We need to kill God. The concept of God, God is death. So that's, that's where a lot of this thinking comes from. Uh, so now we uh, here at our church as followers of Jesus, uh, we do believe in the death of God, but we believe in the death of God in a different way. We believe that, that God died for us and he came back to life to offer us a way back to God. We believe that God created the earth and it was good. God created the universe and it was good. God created human beings and, and we were created in God's image, which means that we're good and we were created to be in relationship. That's what life's about, being in relationship with God, being in relationship with each other, loving each other uh, and, and taking care of the earth and, and making the world a great place. So we believe that. We also believe God gave us the freedom to, to choose. And sometimes we choose wisely and, and we, we do good things and we help people and we love people and we make the world a better place. But sometimes we choose to disobey God and, and go it on our own and see ourselves as God and let our pride and ego kind of take over. When we, when we disobey God and we misuse our free will, then that's when we bring brokenness into the world. And we hurt other people. We, we hurt God. We hurt ourselves. And, and from that comes guilt and shame, and, and death, and also uh, the Bible uses the word hell, but what it means is separation. We, we separate ourselves from the people that we should be loving. We separate ourselves from God because God is perfect and we're not. And so we understand that you don't have to die to go to hell. You, we can experience hell on this earth when we're, we're separated from people that we should be loving and, and should be loved by. So God saw that and said, this is not how I created the earth. Right? God sent Moses in the Old Testament to bring us these laws and commands to follow. And we couldn't follow those laws. And, and so God said, I, 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 people can't save themselves. I'm going to send Jesus. And I think he knew Jesus was necessary all along. But God sends his son into the world. Jesus becomes human. He's also God. He's divine. He's human. And, and what Jesus does is... He takes upon himself, the only perfect person, he takes upon himself our wrongdoing, which the Bible calls sin. He takes our guilt, our shame, all of our baggage, our death, our separation, our hell. He takes it all upon himself. He, he doesn't deserve it, but he takes it upon himself. When he dies on the cross and he comes back to life, he defeats it all. And he gives us access back to God. 
He gives us joy and peace rather than guilt and shame. He gives us life to the full as long as we have breath in our bodies on this earth. And he gives us an opportunity to be resurrected and to live forever in eternity with God. And so, yeah, we believe God died. We believe Jesus died for us to get us back to God and that he rose again and that he is alive again. And so that's kind of what we believe. So it's a little bit a different way of approaching the death of God. Yes, he died, but he is alive and, and he's alive and well. We've been talking a lot. Can our faith be rational? You know, this, this again, some people would say, absolutely sounds like a pipe dream. So God comes down from heaven. He takes the form of a human. Why would he do that? He allows himself to be killed for something he didn't do. And then he comes back to life. Yet again, another crutch, pie in the sky. Let's make up something to make ourselves feel better so we can sleep at night and have hope when we get up in the morning because life is so hard and difficult. You know, it's another pipe dream. But is it? If we were going to make up a story about God uh, to come and, and to save people, I don't know about you, but, but I wouldn't choose a wimpy God who comes and lets himself get killed. My God would come in and he'd have an army of angels and he'd be like a superhero and he'd be fighting evil and he'd be winning us over. And we see how cool he was and everybody would be lining up to say, I want to be on God's team. Right. I don't think that that somebody making up a story about God would, would say, yeah, he died. And he was nailed to a cross and, and, and he was mocked and made fun of, right? It's embarrassing. It's an embarrassing story if you're making it up. And so that's all the more reason that I believe it. Right? If you're going to make up a story about God, then make up something that's really, you know, kick butt. But man, this is, this is kind of wimpy. And then, and then the first witnesses who come on the scene and they find Jesus, you know, resurrected are women. And in the first century of Israel, women were not valued as they are today. And, and they weren't considered to be good witnesses. Like when you went to court, you never would ask a woman to, to give testimony. And ladies, this is not Kyle talking. This is first century Israel. So don't be mad at me. And, you know, why would the writers of the Bible say it was women who found the resurrected Jesus? No one would have believed that. And then the disciples, like Jesus is closest to buddies, his 12 disciples, they, when he was alive, you know, sometimes they did well and, and they were smart and, and they did awesome things. But a lot of times they were, they were confused and they were bumbling. They would, they would fight with each other about who's the greatest. When Jesus needed them the most, when he was arrested, they said, you know, we're going to stand with you. We're going to fight with you, even if they kill us. And, and, and then they ran like cowards. Uh, but once they see the resurrected Jesus, there, there's something that, boom, it just, it changes and they stand up to the people that killed Jesus and they preach. And, and, and when they're supposed to be quiet, they're not quiet. And they start churches and, and most of them are killed for their faith. So something must have happened for these men to completely change their lives. And then from a scientific perspective, we talked about it last week. You know, yeah, somebody died and came back to life. That is a bunch of bull. There's no way that could happen. That's just make-believe. But you know, we talked about God having better technology than us and that we're in this hardware, this body, and, and God could upload our software, like our consciousness, and, and, you know, download it again in new hardware. And so I think there's logical ways that we can look at the death and the resurrection of Jesus that, that, that are close to, to being rational and reasonable. But at the end of the day, I, I think that it, it is going to take a leap of faith. We talked about this last week. At the end of the day, we really need to wrestle with what do we believe about this ourselves. And so I, I want to take us into another concept of death in the New Testament with Jesus. If you've got your Bibles with you or if you've got your phones and, and you've got a Bible app, I just invite you to turn to John 11. I'm going to talk a little bit so you can have time to do that. John's the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
first four books are gospels. It means the good news of Jesus. It talks about Jesus' birth and his life, his death and his resurrection. And so we're going to be in the gospel of John today. And this is before Jesus dies and, and comes back to life. And he's with his disciples and, and he's made friends with a lot of people. And there's one family that, that really is close to Jesus. It's two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And they're close to Jesus. They live in Bethany. It's a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem, the, the capital of Israel. And, and we've met Mary and Martha before. Uh, they're two sisters and Jesus came to visit them one day and one of the sisters sat with him while the other was in the kitchen, you know, getting stuff ready for the meal. And the one in the kitchen got mad at her sister and tried to tattle on Jesus. And so like, this is like a totally human family. And, and so uh, they send word to Jesus that their brother Lazarus is really sick and it's serious. And they say, Jesus, we think that you can, you can stop him from dying. Can you please come as fast as you can? We love you. We know you love us. Can you just get here as soon as possible? And, and then Jesus does something that's kind of unexpected. He intentionally delays going to see them for a couple of days. And in that time, Lazarus dies. And the sisters are, are just wrought with grief and all this stuff. And, and, and Jesus says to his disciples that Lazarus has fallen asleep and that he's going to go and wake Lazarus up. And he's using symbolic language of Lazarus is dead. I'm going to bring him back to life. And I'm doing this so that people will see who I am and so that they will believe that I'm the son of God and, and it will help them come back to God. And so, so all that's going on. That's the background. So if you're in John chapter 11, uh, we're going to be starting with verse 17. We're going to read several verses, but there's two verses I really want you to kind of highlight. So get your highlighting finger ready uh, when we get there. All right. So on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days, right? So the sisters are, are probably upset. Uh, they're, they're grieving. They're probably a little bit mad at Jesus, honestly, when he, when he gets there so late. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, okay? So it's like a suburb of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the big city. Bethany's a suburb, kind of a couple miles away uh, for those who wanted to commute. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So a lot of people love this family. A lot of followers of Jesus love this family. So they're coming from the big city to go into the suburbs. They're going to go grieve with, the, with this family. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. So Mary might have been, you know, in grief. She might have been super mad. And Jesus didn't want to say something that she'd regret later because he should have been there to help Lazarus out. It doesn't say what's going on in her heart. Probably a lot of, lot of mixed emotions. But Martha's going out and maybe she's grieving. Maybe she wants to give Jesus a piece of her mind. Let's see what she says. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. You say you're the son of God. You say you're the Messiah. You have all this power. Where were you, buddy? Because if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. So there's some real honesty there that you and I probably would be feeling if we were in her position. But here it is. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So they're like, there's this, this, this trace of hope in her, in her voice. Like, okay, he's dead, but, but if you are who you say you are, you do what you say you would do, but you can talk to God and maybe you can turn this around. Maybe you can do something pretty cool, right? So she's, she's mad, she's sad, but she has some hope. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Because a lot of Jewish people in Israel living in the first century believed in life after death. And they believed at the end of time that the great judgment would happen and the, and the good people and the bad people would be raised up. And, and if you follow God, then you get your new body. You follow God in heaven. If not, you're going to end up in a place that you don't want to be in. And so she's like, yeah, I know. I'm going to see him at the last day. That's not right now. 
Right? That, I'm sad now. Yes, he will, he will see him one day, right? Now, not all the Jews believe that, but a lot of them did and she did. So she's like, yeah, I know. Well, duh, Jesus. I know that I'll see him later uh, in, at the end of time, but that's not helping me much right now. Now get your highlighters ready. These next couple of verses. I want you to highlight these verses. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am life. You don't have to wait for the end of time. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Even though people die, yet shall they live if they believe in me. And then he asked her the question that I think he's asking us. I think the question we've been wrestling with over these past three weeks is, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe, as we started out in the sermon series with John chapter 14, verse 6, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, the way to get us to God? Jesus says, I have the power of resurrection and life right in front of you, Martha. Do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming to the world. I believe it. She might have been mad. She might have been grieving. She might have doubted Jesus. Where is he? Who is he? Is he really who he says he is? And now she says, I believe you are the Messiah. You are the resurrection. You are the life. You're the way, the truth, the life. She believes it. So then Jesus, he, he, he weeps right at this moment. Right? Shortest verse in the Bible. If you ever play Trivial Pursuit, what's shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. Right? He, he weeps over the death of Lazarus, over the grief of the, of the sisters and, and the people of God. He, he grieves over his friend who is dead. And it just shows you that, that God became one of us and he understands what it's like to hurt. He understands what it's like to be broken. He understands what it's like to have one of your friends blow themselves up with a, a pipe bomb. He understands what it's like to lose the job. He understands what it's like to suffer. He understands what it's like for people to abandon and betray him. And Jesus is the only God of any God that I've ever studied who knows what it's like from our perspective. And he chose that. And he weeps. And then he goes to the tomb and he has them roll away the stone and, and, and the bodies are stinking and all that kind of stuff. And he, he says authoritatively, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes alive and he comes back out of the tomb. And Jesus proves that he has the resurrection power. He proves that he has the life. And it's important that he called Lazarus by name because if he had just said, come out, then all the dead people want to come out. And it would have been the night of the living dead in the first century. And so, uh, but he said, Lazarus, come out. He proves he is the resurrection. He is the life. Yes, God died. Yes, people die. But in God, we come back and we are made alive. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that God created you in God's image? 
and that you are good? Do you believe that God has plans for your life and he wants to prosper you and and give you relationships that, that are to the full, that you can live life to the full with God and with people, that you can make this world a better place? Do you believe that Jesus died so that your guilt and shame can be taken away and replaced with joy and peace, that, that, that we can live life to the full and we can love each other through the hard times and the good times, that we can live forever through that cosmic upload into the new bodies that Jesus has for us. Do you believe this? Right? Our reason, our understanding, right? we talked about how it can go hand in hand with faith and move forward together. But at the end of the day, it comes down to a choice. We have to make a leap of faith. We talked about it last week. Do you believe this? So what, Pastor Kyle? So what am I supposed to take away from this? So what's the big point? So what's the big idea? What's the the most important thing that, that we're supposed to see from this? And this is what I think the so what moment is. I think that Nietzsche and Time Magazine were partially correct. Nietzsche, Time Magazine were partially correct. God died. God died, but God is alive again. That's where we differ from them. God is not a concept. God is not something we made up. Jesus is real. He became a person. He died. God died. And he is alive again. And because he is alive, we can be alive. We can live life to the full. We can live forever in the kingdom of heaven into into eternity. But the the question is, do you believe this? And that's that's the take home today. That's the homework that I would, I would just encourage you to go home and say, do I believe in Jesus? Do I believe he's the son of God? Do I believe I'm created in his image? Do I believe he died for me and came back to life for me so that I can live life to the full now and forever in the kingdom of eternity? Do you believe this? That, that's the homework. And, and if you do, why do you believe that? If you don't, why don't you believe that? And, and, and I'm guessing we need to ask ourselves, well, why are we here today? Why am I watching this on the internet? Why am I listening to this podcast? There's something inside of us that's calling out saying, God, I want to believe in you. I want to know that you're real. God, help me to figure this out. There's, there's something in us of God that's tugging us forward. Do you believe this? Because faith is the leap that we're going to have to make. And it makes all the difference in the world because Nietzsche was partially correct in that the world can be a nasty place. But the world can be a good place. There's lots of goodness. They're they're good people. There's beauty in nature. There's wonderful things going on. As Kevin said earlier, when we're together in small groups, we bring out the best in each other and we help each other through the, the good times and the hard times. But Nietzsche was partially right. There's nasty stuff in the world. It's a broken world. We know people who are hurting. We're hurting physically, emotionally, relationally. We, we see all the stuff on the news. If you don't believe there's evil in the world, turn the news on. We know this world can be a hard place to live in. Modernity didn't fix that. When we said we're in charge, God's not, we had the only two world wars in history. Then when we moved to post-modernity and said, let's just do away with truth and you believe what you want to believe and I believe what I want to believe, the world's not gotten any better. There's still terrorism. There's still violence. There's still anxiety. There's people who are, are not accepting. And so post-modernity hasn't solved it either. It's just we've gotten so far away from the simple faith that God loves us and he expresses that through Jesus. 
Many of you know my friend, Pastor Scott, who serves as the, the senior pastor of New Story Church in Winston-Salem. And uh, it's a church that's made up for people who live in poverty. And they've got three campuses around Winston-Salem. We've helped them with our Christmas Eve offering. And God's doing amazing things. They're just reaching so many people for Jesus. And, and we've been able to be a part of that. Well, Pastor Scott had a, had a really rough week this week. His father had to have open heart surgery on Tuesday. He had five bypasses. Then he had to, Scott had to take his oldest uh, child, his daughter, to college on Thursday, which has its own unique uh, mixed emotions in that, and the joy of that and the sadness involved in that. So all that's going on. So Tuesday, his dad has you know, five bypasses on his heart. He comes through that okay, but that night his heart stops and they have to open him up in the room to operate again. They couldn't even move him to a sterile place. And, and so he's still in intensive care. And, then, and so Scott's dealing with that. And, and if you remember when Scott was here, he, he shared part of his story with us that his first wife died of a, a terminal illness that was long and drawn out. Uh, and, and so Scott has been in many hospitals for many bad reasons. And so here he is, the, the week he's supposed to take his daughter away to school, which is hard enough. And it brings up all the memories of, of his, his dead wife, her dead mother. And then his dad's going through something similar. And it's just almost too much to handle. And I wouldn't, you know, blame Scott if, he's, if he asked God, why is this happening? Right? I've been through enough with my wife. Now my, my daughter's going away. And, and, and now my dad's going through this. I'm a pastor. I'm trying to help people living in poverty. Can you please throw me a bone, God? But it's his faith that got him through. It's his faith that got him through this week with his father. It's his faith that got him through with, with, with the mixed emotions of saying goodbye to his daughter. It's his faith that, that got him through the whole illness with his, with his wife and, and, and her subsequent death. I mean, it's his faith in God and Jesus Christ that, that, that allows him to get out of bed in the morning. And it brings him joy. And it brings him peace in it, and it brings him happiness, even in the midst of some of the most challenging circumstances that you're going to see. I've seen Jesus save marriages. I've seen Jesus heal families. I've seen Jesus heal bodies. I've seen marriages fail. I've seen families torn apart. I've seen people die of nasty diseases. And people who were involved in all that were Christians, and yet their faith in God held them apart to pick up the pieces. I've challenged God. I've doubted God. I, I, my wife and I lost a, a child through miscarriage. I, I carried my 16-year-old friend's body to the grave as a, as a pallbearer when I was 16 years old when she had a car accident. I, I've had those moments, and I'm guessing you have those very same moments and those very same doubts that, that Bill did and maybe Nietzsche did, and, 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 and we come to the threshold of, are we just going to not believe in God? Are we going to give him a chance and say, I do believe, God, that you can bring good from these circumstances, it's reasonable to believe in you, and I'm going to make that leap of faith. Do you believe this? This is, this is the whole series comes down to this. Do you believe this? We've been studying also the television show, The Big Bang Theory, and, and one of its spinoffs, uh, Young Sheldon, is, is we've been looking at the, one of the main characters on this show, this comedy of Sheldon Cooper. He's this bright physicist, and he's funny, and he, he dresses funny and wear T-shirts. That's why I've been doing this the last three weeks, that, and they're also in my wardrobe. Uh, but uh, we've been studying this guy, and, you know, and he, it's a fun show, but, but he's an atheist. We looked at that last week, and he doesn't believe in God. And so in Young Sheldon... Um, 
where he's a little boy, he's been reading about one of his heroes who's a mathematician and who is a a, a physicist. And he lived in the 17th century. That was a long time ago. His name was Blaise Pascal. And uh, Sheldon just, you know, loves him for his scientific mind. But but then he read something that Pascal wrote. And and Pascal, he, he wrote this. He said that he thinks that anybody who has a rational brain should try to live as if God exists. And that anyone with a rational brain should also try to believe in God. Because Pascal said, uh, if you're wrong and there's not a God, then the worst thing that can happen is you might have given up a few pleasures uh, that you probably shouldn't have been involved in anyway. But if there is a God and you do act like there's a God and you do believe in God, then if if you're right, then you will have lived a great life on the earth you will be going to be with God in eternity in the kingdom of heaven, uh, and you'll be avoiding hell, which has probably also got its benefits. And so uh, this became known as Pascal's wager. And so now I could spend an entire sermon on that, talking about is that a a great approach to faith or not? And and maybe it is. If if you don't have any faith at all, this is a great place to start, maybe to consider that. But Sheldon, young Sheldon has read this, and it horrifies him. Because he's a believer in science, he's an atheist, he's reading his scientific hero, and his scientific hero says that he should believe in God, and he doesn't believe in God, and so he really is wrestling with this. And about this time, his father has a mild heart attack, although the family doesn't understand what's going on, and so they rush him to the hospital, and they're worried about his health, and, and so Sheldon wanders down the hallway somehow. I don't know how he gets past you know, security or whatever. He gets down into where his dad is, and he sees his dad hooked up to all these machines, and he's just this little boy, and it's freaking him out. And, and I want you to watch this, and I want you to just think about what we've talked about, about faith and reason, and, and young Sheldon is this atheist, and he's just had his hero say he should you know, give God a chance. Keep that all in mind and, and watch what happens uh, as Sheldon sees his dad in the hospital. Well, that's a funny ending, but to me it's also really sad. It, it, it's like this boy who's struggling with the issue of faith. He said, just for a minute, right, I, was, I was comforted by, by having faith. But he can't make the leap, and he has a bad incident with food, and he moves forward. And, you know, I really think the writers did this intentionally. They, they wind us up, you know, people of faith think, wow, Sheldon's going to have faith in God. This is awesome. And then they make it into a funny moment that they, they can kind of mock everything. And, you know, it, it ends up being, for me, a sad, a sad scene. And I'm wondering if we've ever been in a place like Sheldon to where we really need God to be true. We really need to, to know that God is real and and we're just at the precipice, and, and, and we're standing there, and, and it, it takes the leap of faith. And, and, and we're not ready to do that. We're not ready to believe in God. We're, we're not ready to make that jump. Or maybe, maybe we've made that jump, and, and we've landed, and, and we've seen that things are okay for a while, but then something comes up, and, and something goes wrong in our life, and we get mad at God, and we blame God, and we doubt God, and, and we jump back across the chasm. You know, and, and so, again... I think, I think you're here today for a reason. I think you're watching today for a reason. I think you're listening today for a reason. There's something inside of you that is God calling out to you saying, I'm real and I love you and I need you to trust me. I need you to step out in faith. And I know it might not make sense. It may make sense, but, but at some point we need to make that leap of faith. And I know it's hard even though 
we've been burned. People we care about have been hurt or maybe they're sick. Maybe they're dying. Maybe we've lost someone. Maybe we've lost a job. Maybe we're not popular. Maybe we're struggling with something. We want to believe in God. We want to take that leap of faith. We want to say that Jesus is real and he is who he says he is and he does what he says he will do, that he's the resurrection. He's the life. He's the way, the truth, and that he can get us back to God, right? Sheldon was not able to make that leap. My challenge to you today is to jump and to test it and to see what happens. Sheldon couldn't make that leap of faith, but I think there's something inside of all of us who are here today watching or listening or sitting in here that's God saying, jump and take that leap and trust that I am who I say I am and that I will do what I say I will do. Make that leap of faith. Sheldon couldn't do it, but I have faith that you can. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray.